Welcome into Going Low, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Kale Berger here with you Saturday morning, 93.7 The Fan. A lot to talk about here on today's show. We got Sean Myers producing Behind the Glass. And we got a treat for you coming up later in the show as Jim Lynch, owner of uh, Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek, will join us at about 7.45 to talk about club fitting. I know that might not be maybe uh, off the cuff, maybe the sexiest thing to think about, but it's something very, very important to your game that could help you lower those scores, play better golf, have more fun out there. Something very, very important, and we'll get into uh, the intricacies of club fitting a little bit later on in the show and some of the things that can offer your game. So stick around for that. Uh, something you're definitely going to want to tune into and and be a part of a little bit later in the show. Uh, of course, we're, we're talking Open Championship to start things off. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we'll dive into uh, the memo released by PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan earlier this week. Uh, of course, Monahan uh, announced that uh, big, I guess, quote-unquote merger, you can kind of call it, um, some time ago between the PGA Tour and the PIF, or the uh, Saudi Investment Fund. And then just a couple of weeks later, uh, he underwent some health problems and has kind of taken a back seat or some time away from his position leading the PGA Tour. But uh, he is back, returned to work this week, and released a memo that touched a number of topics, you know, from, you know, looking at uh, how they are going to, you know, end up uh, compensating, you know, guys that potentially were loyal to the PGA Tour when this merger is all said and done and the dust ultimately settles on this. Um, they are going to, you know, put together uh, somewhat of a, a framework or a task force that is going to determine how and when guys that defected to live can return to the PGA Tour or, you know, apply to get their PGA Tour card back. And he also, you know, had some information to say about uh, the rollback debate, something we talked about a couple of months ago, but we really haven't touched on a lot here lately, uh, where the USGA and the RNA want to roll back the golf ball, uh, feel that guys are hitting it too long and overpowering golf courses. Uh, Jay Monahan saying the PGA Tour is not going to adopt that. We appreciate all of our collaboration we do with um, those two governing bodies of the game of golf, but uh, we don't have much interest ourselves in, uh, in implementing those rules on the PGA Tour. And they're going to release the uh, PGA Tour schedule for 2024 coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks at the uh, FedEx St. Jude Championship uh, coming up in, uh, you know, about uh, two weeks from now or so. So a lot of stuff to get into a little bit later on in the show and, and one event that's happening this week that might be uh, kind of a change in how golf is covered or at least providing an alternate version of a golf broadcast than what we have come, come, become accustomed to that's happening on the Corn Ferry Tour this week uh, in Chicago. So we'll talk about that a little later in the show as well, as well as talk to Jim Lynch coming up at 745. But uh, we start things off, of course, looking back on last week and the Open Championship victory for Brian Harmon, a dominant six-shot victory for him in what was, you know, a masterclass that he put on at Royal Liverpool. And, you know, you look at some of the names that have won, you know, at Hoylake, whether it has been Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, I mean, these guys have been uh, number one player in the world, dominant performances, um, and this was kind of a dominant performance in its own right. It's just that the name or the world ranking doesn't necessarily equate to some of those other guys we have seen win at this historic golf course, but that doesn't take anything away from the performance that Brian Harmon put on last week, and, you know, it's funny because we talk about uh, this 
debate of should the golf ball be rolled back? Are guys hitting it too far? Are they beginning to overpower or get too long for golf courses? Um, we saw a guy last week in Brian Harmon who really did it the old-fashioned way. He doesn't necessarily hit the ball far. He is obviously uh, quite diminutive in stature. He is not the biggest, you know, towering specimen like some of these guys on the PGA Tour are. You know, he's not the in the physical shape that a Roy McIlroy is. He is not the towering figure of a Dustin Johnson, a Scotty Scheffler. You know, doesn't have the the brute force of a John Rom. But he did things the old-fashioned way. He hit fairways. He kept the ball in the fairway. And he knocked in putts. And at a course, you know, in Link's style of golf, especially at a course like Royal Liverpool, that's exactly what last weekend called for. And Brian Harmon's game, you know, not only in, you know, the larger encompassing term of his game, the way he plays, but his current form right now, it was a perfect storm for him, you know, literally and figuratively with some of the the weather that they had to contend with on that final day. It was a perfect scenario for him to come in and take advantage of that golf course, and that's exactly what he was able to do. Uh, you know, this is a guy who won that golf tournament last week his way. He didn't have any three putts all week. He found just one bunker. And, you know, we do talk about how so many of these guys are hitting the ball so, so far. They're so long off the tee. Um, they are making golf courses shorter with their length. That, you know, we all, all often question if guys like a Brian Harmon, who just does not have the capacity to hit at the distance of some of their counterparts, if these guys can win, you know, if these guys legitimately have a shot. And I think it proves in this big distance debate that we're facing in golf nowadays is that, yeah, there's going to be some instances, some courses where, you know, guys are just going to overpower it and there's not really much that they can do. Um, but there's also going to be golf courses out there that are challenging enough that put the players in a, in a uh, tricky situation enough that it takes precision, that it takes some surgical accuracy, whether it is finding fairways, finding greens, or knocking in putts, um, that a guy like Brian Harmon, if he is able to deliver in that sense, could end up winning his first major like he did uh, last week. So, you know, kudos to Brian Harmon. And, and this is a guy, too, that, you know, not only did he contend with the fact that this was, of course, a major championship. Um, he did have some guys on his heels, you know, had back-to-back -back bogeys on Sunday, was able to, you know, immediately bounce back and get two birdies and kind of put this thing out of reach. So every time that he was tested last week, he was able to respond. You know, this is a guy that you can't necessarily say he has been there before. You know, he's a two-time winner on the PGA Tour. Um, he had a very decorated amateur career. Um, but he had never really been in that situation before. And the fact that he was able to show... The, you know, the mental toughness, the perseverance, um, just to stay as calm as he was able to do and still execute is obviously a credit to him and what he was able to accomplish uh, last week. But, you know, it wasn't even just the on-course conditions and trying to fend off his fellow competitors. I mean, the guy talked about it after the round. I mean, some of the uh, vitriol he was hearing from the gallery there at Royal Liverpool um, those fans did not want Brian Harmon to win. And not that Brian Harmon didn't, you know, did anything wrong. Not that Brian Harmon is a bad guy. Nothing like that. He just simply wasn't the guy that they wanted for the moment. Is that the way to 
in a healthy manner express that? Absolutely not. And, you know, golf is a gentleman's game, and, you know, you want to just cheer on all of these guys, or at least you probably should, unless they give you a genuine reason. Um, but, you know, he said that there were some, some vicious things hurled his way. Um, they clearly did not want him to win or were not fans of Brian Harmon. The fact that he was able to block that out and still continue to execute the way that he did, uh, I think is also just a further testament to how impressive uh, it was, that performance for him last week. The one thing to take away, though, is, you know, you look at the TV ratings that came out. This was the lowest rating for an Open Championship since 2015. Clearly, golf fans around the world, or in the United States here, uh, were not thrilled to see Brian Harmon as, you know, the leader for a couple of days, uh, as the ultimate uh, champion uh, of the Open Championship, just because he didn't move the needle for people. And see, that's the thing that I think that we face in golf today that is, you know, it's not some existential crisis, but I, I think it's a, a genuine conversation to be had. And you can always join the conversation at 412-928-9370. Like, what is better for golf? Do we want one guy that is dominating winning every tournament, going on an absolute tear, or is it better for the game if there is a pool in a major of 30 guys that have a legitimate chance, legitimate shot to win? And, you know, I think it depends on you, the individual consumer of golf. I mean, if you are, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but if you're a casual, you tune in for the majors. Um, If it's on, you'll throw it on, but, you know, you're not, you know, you're not watching and flipping it on your your computer screen in the office on Thursday morning to see the start of a tournament. You know, you're not watching maybe the 3M Open this week, um, which right now Lee Hodges is leading by four strokes. You know, if you are just a casual observer of golf, you know, Brian Harmon winning probably doesn't do anything for you. If you are a golf junkie, which there is certainly a significant, you know, large contingent of those people that would describe themselves of that, you know, maybe Brian Harmon winning the Open Championship does a little more for you, right? Maybe it does move the needle for you because, you know, you like to see the story of a guy who no one really had any of their sights on as a potential winner of this golf tournament who, to an extent, comes out of nowhere and then holds the lead for two days, sleeps on it twice, or holds the lead for three days, sleeps on it twice, is able to hold on to it and win his first major. Like, to some people, that might be exactly what they're looking for. Other people are still longing for the days of Tiger Woods. And there hasn't necessarily been the heir apparent to that yet. You know, there have been so many guys over the last decade that have looked like it was their opportunity, looked like they were next up, like they were going to be the guy that would take the mantle. And, you know, that wasn't misplaced optimism in those guys. You know, Jordan Spieth went on a, on a run where he... He rattled off a handful of majors, and everyone thought, wow, this is the next great thing. And then, obviously, he hasn't won in quite some time. Roy McIlroy, you know, he has come so, so close, but he hasn't won a major in nearly a decade. And then, he once again, we look at this golf tournament here, uh, the Open Championship last week, and, you know, it's a it's a backdoor top six finish for Roy McIlroy, but... You know, did he ever really give himself an opportunity to win? Not necessarily. 
I mean, especially when he in his first two rounds, he he's firing off 71 and 70, and then a, and then he finishes off with a 69-68 to only get to six under. Like, it will look on paper that Rory McIlroy had a top 10 finish in a major, but did he ever really give himself a chance to contend? I mean, he couldn't hit a putt. He couldn't hit a birdie the entire weekend. I mean, John Rahm is still a, a, a frightening individual when you are at the top of the leaderboard because you know that he can go nuclear at any moment. I mean, the guy shot a 63, the lowest round ever in the Open Championship at this golf course. But other than that, he was 74, 70, and 70. He had that 63 on Saturday. So, you know, it, there's guys that are very, very good golfers that have won major championships, but no one has necessarily grabbed the reins and become that one dominant player. Scotty Scheffler is another one. He is putting on... The best ball-striking season we have seen since prime Tiger Woods. And the guy went on a stretch, and I think it was finally uh, broken or, or or snapped last week at the Open Championship where he had like 16 straight top 12 or top 15 finishes. And he finishes tied 23rd. But the guy's been on a heater for a year and a half now, nearly two years. And as much as it has been great to see Scotty Scheffler put on this ball striking clinic, that's all we hear about. Oh my God, he's a great ball striker. Look at the numbers. It's crazy statistically. What has he won? You know, like what has he won since March, since he won the players? It's great to have a bunch of top 10 finishes and top five finishes, but you aren't some dominant figure unless you're actually winning and hoisting the trophy at the end of the golf tournament. So... I often think about this, about what is better for the game. What will bring more people in? What will turn those casual observers of golf you know, into lifelong fans? What will bring them in and keep them here to stay? What will bring people in that are of no interest at all, but would just be so captivated by an individual's dominance that they'll ultimately decide to tune in when they never have before? And as much as the diehard fans might say, ah, no, we don't need that. I mean, there's so many great pl- players in the world. Anyone can win. Any, I get that. You like to have parity. But I think it's also really good for sports to have a dynasty, a big bad, or just one figure that everyone's trying to knock off. I mean, that's what Tiger Woods was for so many years. And he had his, his, his rivals. You know, he had... You know, Phil Mickelson as a foil. He had plenty of guys that that he went up against. And a lot of them ultimately fell short. We look at other sports. I mean, when we talk about dynasties, I mean, of course they, you know, had their cheating allegations. But the New England Patriots were a dynasty for, you know, nearly 20 years. They were always the, the evil empire of the NFL. Did that not make the NFL a better product? Was it a better product for the NBA when the uh, Golden State Warriors had Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and were winning 73 games? I mean, did that not make the NBA better and better feeder? Because we were all looking to see who would knock them off. I mean, as much as you look at, you know, college basketball and you have something like the NCAA tournament and there's 
maybe 15 teams that have a chance to win a national championship or have that kind of makeup as a team, it's kind of good to have a dynasty or to have a villain or someone in sports that is just dominating everyone else and we're trying to see who can knock them off. Ultimately, for the casual sports fan, for the masses, that's what they prefer. That's what draws people in. That's what I've seen in my experience as what moves the needle in each individual sport is when there's one dominant presence because everyone wants to see them falter. Eventually, people root against them or people root for their greatness. But if you are a golf junkie, if you're someone that just can't get enough, you might look at what we have in golf today and and think, you know what, I like this. I like going in and there's 30 guys that have a shot to win this major championship. I mean, look what we've had this year in, in, in major championship golf. Brooks Kepka looked like he could have won the Masters for three days, falters on Sunday, never really tested is John Rahm by Brooks Kepka. We didn't get that. That 1v1 down the stretch that we wanted, and John Rahm wins his first green jacket. We look at the PGA. Brooks Kepka, you know, exercises those demons and is able to, you know, pull out the PGA and win another major and get another one notch on his belt. We look at the U.S. Open. Well, of course, at the PGA, we had the, the fantastic story of Michael Block that added some, some additional intrigue and excitement to the entire ordeal. Um, you look at the U.S. Open, and you know as much as it was setting up for a potential Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy duel, um, it ended up being Wyndham Clark that wins it. And to the casual golf fan, that m- probably means nothing. To someone that's eats, sleeps, and breathes the game, you're probably very excited about that result and all of the storylines they were talking about on the TV broadcast and him copying Ricky Fowler's putter and this and that. So, I mean, honestly, it's to each their own. It's whatever you prefer. But every sport is made better when it has more mainstream appeal. You never want to entirely be a niche sport because that caps or limits your growth or what you're ultimately able to do or how many new fans you're able to bring in. You want to reach as many people as possible. And listen, this isn't something that they can manufacture. This isn't something that they can force. Um, But I think about this often. And I look at the game as a whole right now. I mean, we have so many players that are universally regarded as super, supremely talented guys. And, you know, year after year, major after major, we see, you know, many of them falter. I mean, we love Max Homa. Max Homa finally had his first top 10 in a major this last week. I mean, Victor Hovland has come very, very close on multiple occasions. You know, Scotty Scheffler has that one Masters, and that's it. Even though he has played ridiculous golf statistically, it hasn't necessarily resulted in hardware. So what do you think? Do you think golf is better off when, you know, it has this this hodgepodge of guys that all have a potential to win any given week? Is that good for the game, or do you think golf needs dominance? Golf needs its next Tiger Woods. Golf needs its version of the New England Patriots or Golden State Warriors or 70s Pittsburgh Steelers. What do you think the game needs at 412-928-9370? But, you know, just to circle back on Brian Harmon, 
as much as it might not have, quote-unquote, moved the needle, um, it certainly was an impressive performance. And Brian Harmon, the Georgia Bulldog, 36 years old, who now has absolutely cemented himself a place on the U.S. Ryder Cup team in a couple of months, um, certainly deserves his flowers for the performance he put on at Royal Liverpool last week because he played his game in an era of golf where it seems like guys like him and his style have been left behind. He showed you that you know you can still win in a variety of ways, and he did that with no three putts and only hitting one bunker in Lynx golf. Um, that'll pretty much always get it done. 412-928-9370. That is the phone number to call if you want to join the conversation. Coming up at 745, we're going to talk to Jim Lynch at Lynch Golf Sales of Pine Creek. Talk some club fitting. How you can improve your game. The importance of getting clubs specifically tailored and fitted to you. How that can take some strokes off and make it more fun for you out there. We'll talk to Jim Lynch about that coming up in about 25 minutes or so. But as I said, there was a... A wide-ranging memo that came out from Jay Monahan, commissioner of the PGA Tour. We haven't heard from him in a little bit. Was dealing with some health issues. Returned to work this week and had a lot of things to touch on. We'll touch on that coming up next. It's Kale Berger for Going Low, powered by Bowser Chevrolet on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Welcome back to Going Low, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Kale Berger here with you. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk to Jim Lynch, proprietor behind Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. Up there in the North Hills, uh, really the the, the best uh, option for uh, not only driving range, but they got some putt-putt, and they got club fitting as well, and that's what Jim Lynch is going to uh, join us a little bit later to discuss. Um, this is you know maybe a time of year to start thinking about that. The season is winding down, maybe something this fall or winter to consider, start saving up some money and looking to get those clubs fitted or your next set of clubs fitted uh, especially at their outdoor location. Uh, we'll talk about that with Jim and the importance of that and what it can do for your game coming up here in just a little bit. Reminder, you can always uh, stay and play at the Comfort in Somerset. And uh, we're taking your phone calls as well at 412-928-9370. Going out to Twitter, we got our buddy uh, Derek Jones, loyal listener of the show. Thanks, Derek. Uh, tweeting into me and saying that you know, looking at Brian Harmon's win in the Open Championship, that he played the course and he did it his way. You know, other guys seem to be out there forcing it, but Brian Harmon played his game, which is what you need in the Open. I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, these guys, a lot of them, as much strategy that goes into it, as much as you need to, you know, really have a game plan set in stone before you attack a major, especially one on a, on a challenging Lynx golf course like, like Royal Liverpool, um, you're, you know, you're right that Brian Harmon played his game. He does exactly what he always does. And it just so happened that it was a perfect convergence of a course that suited his style and that he was playing really good golf at this moment. I think he had three straight, like, top 15 finishes heading into the Open. So he was rounding into form, and he also, you know, kind of had the perfect scenario where if he played his game that it would, you know, be a, a tournament that ultimately he would have a chance to win. And, you know, maybe none of us expected by six shots, um, but he certainly took advantage of that opportunity when everything aligned for him last week. You know, as for this debate of, you know, competition, you know, Derek went on to say here on Twitter, I think it boils down to this. Would you rather watch Tom Brady throw six TDs and dominate a Super Bowl or see a game go right down to the wire? 
You know, golf wants another Tiger, but needs competitive majors and tournaments. See, I'm talking about more over a larger scale. I'm not talking about a one individual tournament. I don't want to see one guy kick everyone's ass. Like, that's the last thing I want to see. And, you know, that is part of you know, what we have seen recently in, in some of these majors. I mean, when was the last major where we had legitimate drama? It goes to a playoff or, you know, it is a battle in the final final pairing between the last two guys. Like, when is the last major that we legitimately had the drama we were looking for? I mean, in the U.S. Open, Ricky Fowler fell off. And Wyndham Clark just kept chugging along full steam ahead and, you know, ended up winning that golf tournament. Uh, the PGA, where, where was the drama? The Masters, Brooks Kepka faltered and we didn't really see it. I mean, that's just this year. But even looking back a couple of years, so I agree that individual tournaments need competition and we have had uh, a pretty significant stretch of major championship golf where we haven't had just drama that we crave and that the game needs. What I'm talking about more, though, is, you know, one figure looming large over multiple tournaments, someone solidifying themselves as the best, and everyone's trying to knock them off. I'm not saying that they're, you know, lapping the field and dominating tournaments by six shots, even though when Tiger Woods was doing that, um, it captivated more people than just golf fans. Uh, but what I'm talking about is someone that can finally take the reins and take hold of this sport. You know, uh, Scotty Scheffler could be world number one and hasn't, you know, really solidified himself as that. John Rahm won a major this year and won a lot of tournaments early in the in the season, but continues to chug along. But where are the other wins coming up um, subsequently after that? Rory McIlroy, yeah, he won the Scottish Open, um, but he hasn't won a major in almost a decade. And, you know, he just continues to, you know, almost backdoor cover some of these tournaments where he ends up in the top 10, but he played like crap on Thursday and Friday or just played average on Thursday and Friday, which we know he's capable of more. So it's not necessarily that there needs to be someone dominating individual tournaments. I'm just saying that someone needs to separate themselves or solidify themselves might be something that is good for the game, better than going into a situation where there's 30 guys and you know don't know who's going to win. To the casual golf fan, that might be something that is better for the game. But ultimately, all I want is competition. I mean, we as much as we can praise Brian Harmon and say, oh, good for him and pat him on the back, um, I don't think anyone, if you gave them truth serum, is happy that anyone won by six shots, let alone Brian Harmon. But once again, you got to give him his credit where credit is due. Um, he played a fantastic golf tournament last week. All right, I mentioned this uh, memo by Jay Monahan, commissioner of the PGA Tour. This is the first time we've heard from from Monahan in a couple of weeks here as you know he took a little medical sabbatical, dealing with some health issues, but returned to work this week and released a memo to the tour players, giving them kind of an update on, on a number of topics. Um, you know, there was some administrative things um, that I won't bog you down with here on the show today, um, but a, two of the big... Talking points, obviously, in golf today are live and the rollback of the golf ball. So we know that the PGA Tour and the PIF are trying to come to some merger agreement. Um, what Jay Monahan did say is that they are working on a framework 
or some sort of compensation package for the guys that were loyal to the PGA Tour. Um, you know, part of me says, kind of too bad, so sad. You, you should have just, you should have taken the money. I mean, if you don't make the financial decision and miss out, if I don't invest in this company and it goes gangbuster, if I don't, you know, you know, play the Powerball on this, you know, these numbers or whatever, I'm not going to get, you know, a pat on the back, um, you know, charity payout or something. And obviously it's a little bit different, but it's kind of like, oh, you missed your opportunity. Um, you obviously had your reservations. The other side of it, though, is, hey, I mean, we sold you this, in a lot of ways, hypocritical lie about this moral high ground and, you know, Jay Monahan invoked 9-11 and all these other things. So in that regard, I mean, he is the one who looks like the slime ball on all this. And maybe those guys do deserve some sort of a financial payout because, you know, they were told one thing by the PGA Tour, and then the PGA Tour has gone around and and now basically sold their soul to the Saudis, and now these guys are going to be getting paid by Saudi Arabia anyways. So part of me is like, yeah, you missed out, but that doesn't mean you need to go get a, a, you know, a, a handout or a charity handout. The other part of me is, well, you were told one thing, the PGA Tour did another, and now you're working partially for the exact guys they told you not to work with in the future, and you missed out on big, big bags of cash. So they are putting together, you know, a framework of how to potentially compensate these guys. The other thing is they're putting together a task force of how to best uh, reintegrate the live guys that did leave and and try to determine or figure out what exactly uh, the penalty, if any, there will be. But you look at, you know, the one of the quotes by Monaghan. You know, this is a, a article I'm reading here from Golf Digest. And they say, quote, a growing response from PGA Tour players who remain with the circuit is that they would like to be compensated for their loyalty. I don't blame them. Like I said, part of me is like, well, you know, you missed out. It is what it is. They were also absolutely lied to. And so maybe they do deserve some money. It ultimately just decides to the discretion of what the PGA and the PGA Tour players want to do. But Monaghan does agree. He says, we have obtained player input that is helping to inform the potential structure, components, and timeline. This program, should we reach a definitive agreement, will be financially significant in total and incremental to our planned compensation package. So they're finding a way to compensate these guys. We will see how lucrative it actually is. Um, but it, I guess it is refreshing to hear that Monaghan is admitting that, yeah, we should probably throw these guys some cash. Uh, one of the other talking points is that they're going to release the 2024 PGA Tour schedule uh, the first week of August when they are in Memphis for the FedEx Cup playoffs, which right now it looks like uh, Justin Thomas is potentially in danger of missing. Not only is he in danger of missing the Ryder Club, but... He decided to play in the 3M Open this week in Minnesota because he needed to get some FedEx Cup points. Uh, played a little bit better than he had been lately, but still ultimately missed the cut because the guy that's leading right now, Lee Hodges, is 15 under through two days. And so Justin Thomas ultimately, with uh, what he put out there on the golf course, was 
Uh, simply just not enough. I mean, he was two under through two days. It's not going to get it done, especially shooting even par on a Saturday. The last thing Monahan talked about, and this is important, is that the tour will not be abiding by the distance rollback that is being implemented by the RNA, which is the governing body over across the pond for the game of golf, and the USGA, which is obviously the governing body here in the United States. They proposed this, you know, rule a couple of months ago where basically in the Open Championship and the U.S. Open or, you know, their subsequent uh, or events below those marquee flagship events, they are going to be rolling back the golf ball in the sense that the ball that they will be using will not be the one that PGA Tour players are absolutely nuking off the tee nowadays. So they'll be rolling that back because they want guys to hit the ball shorter. Uh, they feel like guys hit it too far nowadays and that it is taking you know some courses out of play because either they can't afford or don't have the room to lengthen them and guys are just mashing the ball and making some of these golf courses obsolete. That is one of them, one of the reasons why they want to do this. But Jay Monahan saying that, you know, basically, uh, they're not going to abide by that on the PGA Tour, which was kind of the concern originally because this was just for those two of the four majors that this was going to be implemented. We all kind of assumed that they were going to just say, or one of the weird aspects of this was that um, for two weeks out of the year, you're going to play with a different golf ball than the rest of the year you're going to play with. And none of us liked that idea. The players certainly didn't like that idea. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. But now Jay Monahan is saying that, yeah, uh, guys hitting the ball 350 yards is good for business. We're going to keep doing that. We're not going to adopt these rules. And, you know, I would say for, for Monahan, you know, good for them. I'm not a big fan of the rollback argument, and I, I see the certain elements of it. I see the certain arguments for it but I probably more so in the arguments against because I just think it's it's ridiculous to make those guys play a different golf ball two weeks out of the year in the two of the biggest events of the entire calendar as well. More to come here on the show, and coming up next, we'll check in with Jim Lynch, Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek, to talk about the importance of club fitting and why you need to get your clubs fitted, especially at a spot like his up in the North Hills and what it can do for your game closing out this season, or entering 2024 as well. We'll talk to Jim Lynch coming up next and then wrap things up and hand it off to Pat Bostick for the Panther Insider Show. It's Kale Berger for Going Low, powered by Bowser Chevrolet and Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Welcome back to Going Low, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Kale Berger here with you. We go out to the fan hotline right now, and that's where we find Jim Lynch of Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. You can find them right in the heart of the North Hills. They got the pro shop. They got... The short game area, of course, the driving range and the uh, the putt-putt there as well. But we're here to talk with Jim today about club fitting. Uh, Jim, good morning. Thanks for joining us and waking up early. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, Jim, you're a four-time winner of the coveted Ping Top 100 Club Fitter of the Year Award. Um, that's obviously what we're here to talk about here today. Um, I, I first want to ask you, you know, you've been doing this for some time. How did you get into this industry, specifically you know, the club fitting pro shop aspect of things. Sure. So when I came out of playing golf for Westminster, a little local here, yeah. and then um, got a job over in Wexford, it was, back in the day it was called the Golf Inn, 
And um, we just started building our own clubs. And uh, Ping was really big back in the 80s and 90s, and we loved what they were doing, and we tried to do the same thing. And uh, it's just grown. And you know, now we're, you know, we mentioned about the Club Fitter of the Year. We've also now become the only outdoor Ping power fitter in Western PA. And that's huge. Um, they really have come to us and uh, made us their big fitting center. So you mentioned the outdoor club fitting, and, and that's you yeah. know kind of maybe lost from what you know traditionally it has been with so many places nowadays opting for the indoor simulator type stuff. What is the advantage in your eyes of you know getting fitted for clubs outdoors? What advantage does that provide in truly you know getting the perfect fit for for your customers? Well, unfortunately, when you hit them indoors, and I know the technology of these machines is so much better now than it's been in the past, but when the ball goes five feet and drops, I'm not sure you're really getting the right feed off of those machines. Here, you're going to see ball flight, and that ball flight, it doesn't lie. It tells you exactly <laughs> where the ball's going, how far, how much fade, how much hook. Um, it's the, it, in my mind, it's the only way to get fit. And outdoors, you hear a lot of my commercials on the fan. Uh, we promote that, and we think the outdoors the the only way to do it. We're joined here on Going Low by Jim Lynch of Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. Uh, Jim, one of the things that I always hear from people, especially people that are just taking up the game, I think it's a common misconception, is, uh, you know, oh, I, I'm not good enough to get fitted for clubs, or I just started. I shouldn't be, you know, getting fitted for clubs yet. What would you say to those people that maybe have those that hesitation and what could it do for their game if, you know, they they take that on now as opposed to sooner rather than later? I think it's more important actually for the guy who's just getting started. Yeah. Um, the heads are so good on all these clubs now that if you pick Ping, TaylorMade, Callaway, PXG, whatever you decide on the club head, they're all really good. The biggest difference is in the shafts and what the shafts will do for you. Um, some of the shafts are super lightweight, so it helps people generate speed. Some of the shafts hit the ball really high. Some keep it down. Um, you know, we can take a guy who really struggles to hit it into the green and have the ball sit soft for him. Well, you know, the ball wants to run out on him and um, get him some more height and more spin, and especially with drivers. Oh, my gosh. The, the different shafts that we can put in drivers, it's, it's unbelievable. So from your really good players that really benefit from being fit properly, but I think sometimes the um, early players, or like you said, the guys who really don't think that the fitting will really benefit them, it really does. Jim, what kind of uh, demo events do you guys have coming up? And for people that might be listening on the show here today, how can they get in touch yeah. with you and set up a, an appointment to, to get fitted here and, and hopefully figure some things out before the season ends but hit the ground running in 2024? Absolutely. So obviously we fit every day, um, all by appointment, so give us a call at any time. But um, – in the fall, there are some companies doing some nice fall releases. Uh, so TaylorMade has the P790 coming out. That's August 16th. We will have a demo event here. Um, Titleist has all four of their new irons coming out. So that's September 5th. And the Ping Tour Van will be here all day, Saturday, September 2nd. Um, all these are all by appointment. So please give us a call and get on the book. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun this fall. You can give him a call at 412-492-9990. Jim Lynch of Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. Jim, thank you so much. We appreciate your support here on the fan as always, and I'm sure I'll see you at your driving range there soon. Awesome, Cal. Thanks a lot, man. Good talking to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. There he goes, Jim Lynch of Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. And, and that's that's very important advice there because 
that is kind of the one of the common misconceptions that you hear is that, well, I just picked up the game. I just started playing. Um, I'm not going to get fitted. Let me figure out how to work the clubs that I have first. But, you know, there is something to be said about when you are taking up the game, when you are learning the game, when you are just starting out, learn the game on clubs that fit you. Learn the game on clubs that are molded to you and your specific game. And it's going to make that learning curve a lot easier. It's going to make, you know, developing your swing a lot easier as well. So, you know, make sure to check out the guys at Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. And, uh, you know, something to close out the season or certainly something to consider heading into 2024 as well. A uh, little final look at the uh, leaderboard here uh, heading into the end of the, uh, the third round of the 3M Open coming up later today uh, in Minnesota. Uh, Lee Hodges is your leader at 15 under. He's got a four-shot lead right now. Right behind him is uh, American Tyler Duncan, Kevin Streelman, JT Poston, Tony Finau, who won this event last year, and Brant Snedeker, all uh, tied for third at uh, 10 under right now. So guys have been going low thus far. I think Tony Finau started off like six under on his first six holes or something. Um, they are you know, having their way with this golf course, so should be a high-scoring or low-scoring uh, fun finish here over the next couple of days at the 3M Open. And we also have the uh, Evian Championship going on right now on the LPGA Tour. Uh, they are playing over in France. And uh, right now you got Celine Boutier, who is 10 under. She's your leader right now. But uh, some big names that are kind of just behind her. Uh, Minji Lee, of course, the sister of Minwoo Lee, who has you know, played some really good golf on the PGA Tour of late and, and had a pretty good finish at the Open. She's tied for third at seven under. And you got Nellie Corda, one of the biggest stars in the women's game. She is six under after shooting a 64 uh, bogeyless round today at uh, the Evian Championship. So some great golf to watch this week on the men's and women's side if you're so inclined. Uh, especially with some of the weather that we're dealing with here today. Uh, it is overcast. It is dreary. It is dark. It is wet outside. So hopefully you got your golf in yesterday or you got your tee time set for tomorrow or you know, you'll take advantage if things clear up here later in the afternoon. That'll do it for me. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to today's Going Low Golf Show, powered by Bowser Chevrolet. Thanks to Sean Myers for his producing behind the glass. Thanks to all your conversation, joining in on social media and calling in as well. And thanks to Jim Lynch of Lynch Golf Sales at Pine Creek. Pat Bostick is coming up next, and I will be back in about four hours. I'll be with you from noon to two, uh, talking all things Pittsburgh sports here on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan.